Tis like the birthday of the world, when the earth was born in bloom. The light is made of many dyes, the air is all perfume. There's crimson buds, and white and blue. The very rainbow showers have turned to blossoms where they fell, and sown the earth with flowers. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit. This podcast celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. Through prose, poetry, history, and sound, we hope this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I are going to be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Before we get started, let's explore the concept of the mini-seasons a little further. These divisions were based on observations of changes within the natural world. A new mini-season occurred every 12 days or so and helped to mark the seasonal changes that were occurring in the land. These mini-seasons can break down even further into micro-seasons. But for the purpose of this podcast, we will focus on mini-seasons, or what the Japanese call sekki, the 24 divisions of the year. Currently, we are in the beginning of summer mini-season. This season begins approximately on May 5th and ends on May 19th. In it, the world is awake. Frogs are singing, worms are warming, and bamboo is bursting forth from deep underground. This episode, we'll explore what's happening in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives during the beginning of summer. When I think of May, I think of a month of merriment and playfulness. Now is the season for frolicking. In the musical Camelot, they say, It's May, the lusty month of May, that darling month when everyone throws self-control away. Yes, there's a sense of vigor, life, growth, and vibrancy. The rainy days of early spring are almost over. Almost over is right. May is warm and cool and delightful, but winter doesn't give up that easily. Folklore in the Northern Hemisphere often identifies a mid-May cold snap, which falls just during this mini-season. So be prepared. Seems a bit counterintuitive to the beginning of summer. That's just it. We're at the beginning of our summer journey, when things are still new and Mother Nature is just finding her footing. Within the next few weeks, we mark this cold snap through the feast days of the Ice Saints. The Ice Saints? Sounds chilly. Just a bit. The feast days of St. Mamertus, St. Pancras, and St. Servatius fall between May 11th to May 13th. St. Sophie, often called Cold Sophie, 
completes this period on May 15th. This span of days is believed to bring a brief cold spell, including the last frosty nights of spring. In France, there's a saying, before the feast of Saint-Survey, no summer. After Saint-Survey, no frost. Here's another old saying from England that rings true. Ne'er cast a clout till May be out. That means don't put away your warm clothes until the end of May. Yes, even in the beginning of summertime, cold snaps can happen. So keep those sweaters at hand for a little while yet. But enough of cold. Let's talk about the May that we all know and love. The May which pays homage to the Roman goddess Maya of nurturing. Nurturing, and this period of May, reminds me of mothers with their babies. The joyousness of young life, of bustling about, and getting down to preparing for the summer months ahead. It makes me think of life on the farm. On the farm? That's right. Let's go on a playful journey, down to the farm. The spring is coming by a many signs. The trays are up, the hedges broken down that fenced the haystack, and the remnant shines like some old antique fragment weathered brown. And where suns peep in every sheltered place, the little early buttercups unfold a glittering star or two till many trace the edges of the black thorn clumps in gold. And then a little lamb bolts up behind the hill and wags his tail to meet the oe. And then another, sheltered from the wind, lies all his length as dead and lets me go close by and never stirs but baking lies with legs stretched out as though he could not rise. The hen is a ferocious fowl. She pecks you till she makes you howl. And all the time she flaps her wings and says the most insulting things. And when you try to take her egg, she bites large pieces from your legs. The only safe way to get these is to creep on your hands and knees. In the meanwhile, a friend must hide and jump out on the other side, and then you snatch the eggs and run while she pursues the other one. The difficulty is to find a trusty friend who will not mind. I think that hen is just doing its motherly duty. But don't worry, Kit. I can distract the hen while you get the eggs. <laughs> That's good to know, my trusty friend. Hens and lambs and other lively springtime kigo certainly help this mini-season get off to a rambunctious start. For those who may not have joined us for our first episode, shall we say a brief word about kigo? 
Higo are seasonal keywords, words and phrases associated with a particular season. The idea of Kigo comes from Japanese poetry. So our first Kigo for the beginning of summer mini-season might be Ice Saints, an image specific to this season. Yes, followed by our image of those cute lambs, mama hens, and baby chicks. But you know, the goddess Maya is also known as the goddess for the growth of plants. There's something about these next few verdant weeks. A heady, confident growth of plants as they stretch towards the sun. Nothing can stop them. In Japan, there's a kigo for this green, leafy growth, shinroku, or sometimes aoba, meaning new green or new green leaf. I saw a hundred of shades of green today and everything that man made was outclassed. The month of May, the merry month of May. Now hello, pink and white and farewell gray. My spirits are no longer overcast. The winter is over and it's time to play. This green reminds me of another word in Japanese used to refer to the month of May, satsuki. This word means swamp month. Another word for May is sanaezuki, which means rice seedlings month. There's something about this month that's marshy, a mixture of wet and dry, but all around green. Speaking of marshy, that brings to mind certain types of irises that like to grow in marshy conditions and bloom during this period. May is certainly a month for irises. I know that there are some irises that like to grow in dry conditions, but then there are some that enjoy semi-aquatic soil, the kind you find along marshes. It's believed that farmers would plant wild irises near their rice fields because the blooming of these flowers coincided with the time to transplant the rice seedlings from seed beds into the fields. In fact, in Japan, iris culture has become an art. Over the centuries, the Japanese have developed more than 2,000 iris cultivars from the original wild plants. The irises that we see today have developed large, vibrantly colored flowers with blooms in colors of blues, purples, or white, often with patterns of dots or stripes. When we talk about irises in Japan, we're typically referring to one of three varieties. Hanashobu, or shobu, are the most extensively cultivated irises and grow in wetlands. Ayame refers to wild irises that grow on dry land, and Kakitsubata grow in semi-wetland. Rabbit ear iris gives me an idea for a poem. Rabbit ear iris certainly creates a specific image. Yes, that's a rather poetic term for the Kakitsubata, don't you think? So many haiku begin with Kakitsubata. Here is one by Ista. Irises, where the rainbow starts from. Of course, Isa had no way of knowing that the English word for iris derives from the Greek word for rainbow. It's fascinating to me that the connection is intuitive. The showy colors of the flowers create a rainbow here on Earth. 
Or perhaps we could say, a rainbow is a flower in the sky. The cuckoo singing above five feet of iris leaves. The iris and the cuckoo bring us from the earth into the sky. You know, in our part of the world, the cuckoo is considered a harbinger of spring. There's a traditional proverb that says, The cuckoo comes in April, stays the month of May, sings the song of midsummer, and then goes away. That's right. But the bird I want to talk about, the cuckooless poliocephalus, or lesser cuckoo, is definitively a summer bird in Japan, where they are known as hototogisu. Mountains are yellow-green, pale yellow, a cuckoo cries. You know, the hototogisu is so popular in haiku that it practically creates its own genre. The haiku master Shiki actually took his pen name from that bird. The characters in his name mean little cuckoo. Not only that, he founded a literary magazine called Hototogisu, which is now Japan's longest-running haiku periodical. It seems to me as if a little cuckoo could have come flying to aim at Duetsia flowers. Dawn from atop the wheat. Cuckoo! The cuckoo is so ubiquitous during summertime in Japan that it may be said to be one of summer's great treasures. Cuckoo, singing, flying, singing, ever busy. I think we might be getting a little cuckoo for cuckoos. Let's discuss something else in the sky. Actually, beginning around this time of year in mid-May, noctilucent clouds begin to appear. Noctilucent clouds. Very mysterious sounding. What are they? They are clouds that shine at night. Not your typical clouds at all. These wispy clouds are usually seen at high altitudes that form at the highest reaches of the atmosphere, the mesosphere. They're thought to be made of ice crystals that form on the fine dust particles from meteors. They can only form when temperatures are incredibly low. Hmm. Seems a little strange that clouds that would need cold temperatures would form throughout the summer. You wouldn't think so, would you? But actually, some of the coldest mesosphere temperatures occur in summer. There's science to it. Hot air rising, cold air being pushed even higher and even colder air being formed. Here's a poem about shining night clouds. The white mares of the moon rush along the sky, beating their golden hooves upon the glass heavens. The white mares of the moon are all standing on their hind legs, pawing at the green porcelain doors of the remote heavens. Fly, mares, strain your utmost, 
scatter the milky dust of stars, or the tiger sun will leap upon you and destroy you with one lick of his vermilion tongue. During this time of year, there's something else I think we begin to see pop up in the sky. It doesn't happen at night like those clouds. Instead, it's something we associate with warm days and fair skies. Kites. Certainly kites can be flown in any season, it's true. But yes, May and its good weather is a sign to me that we can truly begin to enjoy long hours spent with our thoughts and bits of fabric and strings above the clouds. Here's a piece of weather lore. A windy May makes a fair year. And in Japan too, they take this to heart. In Japan throughout the summer, giant kite battles take place. One in Shizuoka takes place at the beginning of May, and huge kites are flown by teams that try to cut the cords of the other kites with their own kite. Up and up, then down and down. On a breezy day, jolly kites in colors fine proudly sail away. Each is held, how wonderful, by a slender string. Children's laughter, darting kites, make a day of spring. Actually, kite battles like this were so popular during the Edo period that the government had to ban them except during the New Year's holidays. I'm glad that we can now all enjoy kite flying in warm weather months. But perhaps the most famous kites of the month of May are the koi nobori, or carp banners associated with kodomo no hi, or Children's Day. This holiday is celebrated every May 5th in Japan. On kodomo no hi, Families fly cloth banners in the shape of carp outside their houses to bring good luck to the children inside. Usually, each member of the family has their own cloth carp to represent them. Carp, or koi, are believed to be a particularly strong and determined kind of fish, as we can observe as koi swim fiercely upstream. So, Koi nobori are symbolic of the wish for children to be strong and brave individuals who can overcome adversity. These colorful streamers fluttering in the wind are a beloved sight of early summer. Carp streamers are higher than the roof. The biggest carp is the father. The small carp are children enjoying swimming in the sky. he occurs while the irises are blooming, and irises have their role to play in the celebration as well. You'll remember we spoke a little about shobu irises. The word shobu in Japanese can also mean battle, so these flowers can be seen as a symbol of strength. Their long leaves are said to resemble swords, and it's customary to take baths with iris roots and leaves on this day. These baths are called shobuyu, and it's believed a bath with irises will help condition you for the hot summer days ahead. Of course, a holiday in Japan wouldn't be complete without something special to eat. What's on the menu for kodomo no hi? Kashiwa mochi is a special treat families can make with their children for this holiday. These are mochi, or sticky rice cakes, 
wrapped in oak leaves. The oak leaf, like other symbols of Kodomo no Hi, connotes strength and the continuation of the family line. But if you are ever offered kashiwamochi, don't be like me and eat the oak leaf. It's just for decoration. Oh no, they're not edible. I learned that the hard way. Both sword and satchel. Display them in May. Paper streamers. Meanwhile, here at home, the holiday of this season is, without a doubt, Mother's Day. This year, Mother's Day falls on May 10th. That's right. It's always the second Sunday of May. Interestingly, May 10th was actually the date of the very first Mother's Day service, too, back in 1908 in Grafton, West Virginia. It was the idea of Anna Jarvis, who wanted to honor the work of all mothers. Thanks to her efforts, in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson declared it a legal holiday. May certainly seems an appropriate time to honor mothers. In the home, as well as in nature, we can see how hard mothers work to nurture all the new life springing up around us. Best friends forever, mom and me, picking flowers and climbing trees, a shoulder to cry on secrets to share, warm hearts and hands that really care. Most families have their own traditions of how to spend a Mother's Day. One enduring tradition is wearing or gifting carnations. Carnations were the favorite flower of Anna Jarvis's mother, and as the founder of Modern Mother's Day, Jarvis admired the flower's sweet fragrance and perseverance. Carnations are wonderfully long-lasting as cut flowers. A bouquet of carnations given on Mother's Day may brighten a room for weeks to come. We should note, perhaps, that white carnations are typically worn by those who want to honor a mother who has passed away, while pink or red carnations honor mothers who are living. The warm and gentle rosy colors we associate with this holiday can also be found in another plant which marks this season. The strawberry? Hmm. Well, it still may be a bit early for strawberries fresh from the garden, but this seasonal ingredient goes very well with them. I'm talking about one of my favorite pie flavors, rhubarb. I remember tasting delicious rhubarb pie at a very special event, your wedding. <laughs> yes, pie was on the menu that day, the most special of days too. Now, rhubarb has been cultivated for about 4,000 years, but only as food for the last few hundred. It was actually the English who first saw rhubarb's food potential. The rhubarb pie is to England what apple pie is to America. The rhubarb plant is native to northern Asia and was used for centuries for medicinal purposes. As a gentle purgative, it helped to reduce fevers and can even be used to clean pots, dye hair, or as an insecticide. Let's enjoy a poem about this distinctly sour flavor in a pie. If rhubarb pie you've never eaten... Give it a try. It can't be beaten. I know what you're thinking. Oh, how can this be? Rhubarb's reminiscent of red celery. How can something this stringy become a great pie? There's a sweet little secret. Of that, I won't lie. It takes lots of sugar, a half plus a cup. 
and a third cup of flour to thicken things up, an eighth teaspoon of salt, and the rhubarb you add. Four cups peeled and chopped won't turn out too bad. Mix it all up and pour in a pie pan, lined with a crust you mixed up by hand. Dot it with butter, or margarine is okay. Two tablespoons should do, at least that's what they say. Put on a top crust, flute the edges up high, and cut in some vents so the top doesn't fly. Sprinkle with sugar and put in to bake. At 425, three-fourths hour should take. When it is done, place on rack for to cool. Don't eat it too soon or you'll get burned, you fool. <laughs> when it's just warm, then open the fridge. With vanilla ice cream, you'll want more than a smidge. With milk in a glass or coffee in cup, you might soon discover that you've eaten it up. Then go tell your friends that you found a new gem and maybe next time you'll save some for them. With a poem like that, we're armed with deliciousness for our beginning of summer mini-season. Well, with pie on the mind, our episode of Season by Season draws to a close. We've enjoyed this journey through the sky, fields, forests, and our homes with you. Some of the Kigo we covered today are ice saints, farmyard animals like hens and lambs, fresh greenery, irises of many kind, cuckoos, cuckoos and cuckoos, noctilucent clouds, kites, carp banners, Mother's Day, and rhubarb. There's so much more to share to this wonderful season. Yes, I'm sure we've missed many seasonal things here. If you'd like to share more words you associate with the mini-season ahead, email nourishingjapan at gmail.com to share, and we'll post them on our Facebook page, Season by Season Podcast. Now, what mini-season can we look forward to next? After the beginning of summer mini-season, the next of the 24 mini-seasons, beginning around May 20th and ending in the beginning of June, is called Shoman which can loosely be translated to the season when the weather becomes fine and everything starts to go well. There's a wonderful passage about this next season ahead, this transition from May to June, from author and gardener Peter Lower. May and June, soft syllables, gentle names for the two best months in the garden year. Cool, misty mornings, gently burned away with a warming spring sun, followed by breezy afternoons and chilly nights. The discussion of philosophy is over. It's time for work to begin. But for now, our work here is done with our mini-season, Beginning of Summer. We'd like to thank Ruth Cunningham, Chris Whitaker, and Madeline Salazar for their musical contributions to this episode. We'd also like to thank Burnaby Ted Costales, Kathleen Moore, Rose Teresa Arsbooker, Emily Frederick, Siobhan O'Brien, Carl Smith, Rita Andre, Maria Aliano, Ed Von Adercas, Andrew Prozer, Farah, Wednesday Taylor, and Porfirio Figueroa for their contributions to this podcast. The poems featured in this podcast are in the public domain. To learn more about the poems and prose which you heard here today, please visit our website. We'll end our podcast with a reprise of Kites Are Fun by The Free Design, with our heartfelt thanks for allowing us permission to use this song in our broadcast.
Thank you for joining us on Season by Season with Alexis and Kit. Enjoy the beginnings of summer. For all the mothers listening out there, happy Mother's Day. See you in another season. Like to be a zillion miles away from everyone Cause mom and dad and